episode 299 of The Sleeper in the Bust. It's Tuesday, January 19th. I'm your host, Paul Spohr, joined today by Eno Saris. Eno, how's it going, sir? It's going good. And actually, I did not prepare you for this moment, but uh, I do think that we should mark this moment right here as a moment where you would hear from our sponsor, had we a sponsor. And I mention this because somebody listening could become our sponsor. The bar is not very high, as in we don't have a sponsor right now. So you can so beat out nobody. You can probably beat out nobody. And then we could tell the people things about your wonderful service. Or it could be something as simple as you've got a great dynasty league and you're willing to shell out a couple bucks to, to promote it on this on this podcast and get some good, you know, you get some good competition in there. Sleeper Anything like that. Gmail.com. Please let us that, know if you're interested. And that's also the place to tell us what to talk about if, if we're not talking about the right things. That's, that's exactly it. That's also where you can get your questions. You can follow us on Twitter. I am at Sporer. Eno is at Enosaris, E-N-O-S-A-R-R-I-S. Please rate and review the podcast on iTunes. You guys have been doing a great job with that since we started bringing it back up. 232 reviews now, 4.5 stars. Got some more five-star reviews in there. Really do appreciate that. Let us know what you think. Let us know what you like. If there's things you want changed, go ahead and put it in there. doesn't mean you got to throw a one-star on it, but uh, even if you five-star but then put the critiques that you have, that's all right. We had a guy do that. I mentioned it uh, in the episode with Jason. He, he, he gave a really nice review. Um, but he, he obliterated me. So, I mean, listen, you know, you got us a good five-star review. I got to push back <laughs> on his review just a little bit though. He got a little bit, his, his comment about how I didn't bring kind of the, the next level stats. The only reason I want to address is because it's on purpose. I think we're filling different roles here with myself, you and Jason. I'm not trying to get into everybody's whiff rate the way that you that, – that, that's why you're here. So I don't know. I think maybe if he reassesses that – you can't go higher than five stars. He still gave us a great review. But in terms of that critique, I think maybe if you, if you kind of understand the roles that we're filling here, maybe you understand why I don't necessarily go as deep with the stats. And I leave that to my analysts, Jason and Eno. But believe me, I can. I can. I can get some detailed – Oh, swing percentage on your ass if necessary. So <laughs> please rate and review on iTunes. I will not, uh, you know, nitpick all of them when they're when they blast me. I like the ones that blast me. Sometimes that's funny, but uh, keep keep pumping out those five stars. We really appreciate it. Plus, I'm in a great mood right now. You can hammer me all you want because my favorite team just dropped the hammer on the league. And, uh, and and they made a huge move, and it's obviously going to be our centerpiece move. We were just podcasting yesterday with Jason. Not a lot happened in terms of volume, but one giant move. Let's talk Justin Upton to Detroit. First off, I'm going to say that it didn't surprise me that much that they that they made the move. I, as a Tigers fan over these last – well, for my whole life, but as – once they've kind of gotten good and become players in the market and, and competing on a regular basis, at this point, I've come to expect the late winter uh, or, or the midwinter signing that kind of, quote unquote, comes out of nowhere. That's, they don't telegraph everything they do like some teams. Some teams that are out there, you know, they're talking about everything they're going to do and it's kind of laid out. And you know it before it happens. And sometimes that even happens with the Tigers, but it's usually their early moves. I've got no problem uh, sitting around waiting for them to make their big splash, and they did, and I think they did it with the best player left on the market for what they needed in Detroit. You know, what were your first thoughts on on Justin Upton to Detroit? 
it's just, it's so weird how he was everybody's backup plan and that you know we had to see how the market was going to treat Chris Davis before Justin Upton was going to sign and the, you know that it seems like people were talking to Cespedes before they talked to Upton. I don't know if that's because Upton's camp was asking for more and you know driving a harder bargain being that he was the youngest guy left on the market and the the most years before his decline um on the table and um you know didn't have some of the flaws of some other guys but you know I I liked him always as you know I don't think his defense is necessarily as bad as the numbers have said in some seasons it does look a little bit iffy out there but you know with good positioning there's still athleticism there I think that someone could really uh, make him look better if they if they worked hard at it in terms of defense. And then in terms of everything else, I mean, patience, power, a little bit of contact problem, but he's not a Chris Davis type. So it's, you know, it, it, it seems like the kind of guy that anybody would want in their lineup. And I, and I don't see there being any real big issues with him. I know some people are worried about the strikeout rate, but that's the sort of thing that I worry about with Chris Davis signing at his age, Absolutely. not necessarily – uh, Justin Upton. I, I have a feeling that maybe the next Justin Upton contract might be a bad one, but sure. this one, because there's a there's an opt out after two, two year opt out, get him back in there at age 30 or after his age 30 season. No, no, he'll play 28, 29, and then if he opts out, he'll be there in age 30. But which, for the Tigers, you know, I think this I think this is shows really specifically also why the opt out's happening so much. It's like a non monetary. Well, it, it it does have monetary value, but it's a non monetary or, or a non dollar thing that they can offer Justin Upton to get him to come there. Absolutely. Without adding like a seventh year or or more money. And then for Illich, it's like, well, all I want are the best players right now. Exactly. You know, I don't. And if he opts out after two years and we've won a, a, a title in the meantime, I'll let him go and that'll be great. If he doesn't, then I'll use that money to either get him or get the next younger, you know, better thing on the market that year. Yeah, so. that, that, that's the thing. I mean, for the Tigers specifically in these opt out situations, if he opted out, again, it's only likely going to come after two dominant years doesn't mean they'll be guaranteed a title but if they get two great years and then he leaves and they don't have Upton for the the 30s I mean that's not the end of the world so I really like the move I think it fits the again the biggest hole that they had which was out in left field now you're looking at Upton in left uh an Anthony Ghost Cameron Maben platoon kind of deal in center and then JD Martinez in right let's talk a little bit more about the fantasy value aspects here because obviously that's what we really care about you and I, and I, I think Jason as well, we all value Upton pretty highly. We're, we were already pretty much on board. We were saying a lot of the same things with regards to like what you just said about his market. Why was it so quiet? You know, Why weren't more people after this guy? Don't know, but great player. Really like what he brings to the table fantasy-wise. He, he really got that high floor. Yeah, he has a couple of 17 homer seasons, but in those two seasons, he never killed you. You know, he had 280 and 273. He had 18 stolen bases in both of them. He didn't meet expectations those two years that he had 17 home runs, but he certainly didn't kill you. That's the thing. That's what we're talking about when we say high floor. A guy that even if he doesn't perform to the highest level that you expect, the second or third round pick that you utilize, his his drop down is still very valuable. So how does this move help him going from Petco and the National League to Detroit and the American League as you see it? It's interesting. I asked him about this, and I've talked about this a little bit before, that you know, San Francisco might not have been a great fit for him because I asked him, you know, 
were you worried about your power going into San Diego? And what did you think about the park when you when you signed with that or when you were traded to them and, and what you you sort of how you prepared for the season? Did you think about Petco? And he said, no, I don't care, man. I don't care about any of that. I can hit in any park. The main thing that's important to me is that I can see the ball well. And, uh, you know, if you think about the way that he that he plays, you know that he's got that no doubt power. You know, he's got those, you know, 20, 30 row deep in center field type power. So it is interesting to hear him say that he just needs to see the ball well and that he couldn't see it that well in San Francisco. That was a road team for him that he probably won't see so often this year. You know, so that's a good thing in terms of what Petco's park factors say. They say that, you know, he's moving from a place that, you know, suppressed home runs by righties by uh, 9%, I think. Uh, it's not loading right now, but I was looking at it earlier. Nine percent, I think, and now he's and now it's uh, tight. Detroit is 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 neutral, so I think that might be worth a home run or two. Yeah, and uh, you know the doubles actually it suppressed doubles a lot, and I think the doubles park factor for right-handers is the most interesting thing because he had one of the worst babbits of his career. He had the second war, actually, you know, and all because of the first game came in 150 plate appearances. I'd say that the um, it's the worst Babbitt of his career. So, you know, you you look at the 304 Babbitt and you say, oh, he did fine. But actually, he's kind of a 330 guy. So if he can get that back up with the help of the park a little bit, just by playing more neutral, I think he can be that 270 hitter he's projected to be. There are some nice gaps where I can see some some uh, easy doubles. They're triples for guys like Austin Jackson, Curtis Granderson, when they played their ghosts and maybe now, and maybe even Upton. Let's, let's not sleep on the fact that he's not slow either. You mentioned the athleticism in the outfield, so he'll get some triples too, but triples alley is usually where the big boppers, it's their doubles alley. I think there'll be plenty in Comerica for Upton. How much, and I don't, I don't know, so this speculation might not even be that much. When you're talking about this BABIP situation, probably some well-struck balls that maybe kind of held up. How much is that marine layer in San Diego that we hear about? Is that at play when we're talking about maybe some well-struck balls that didn't go for hits that might now go for hits in Detroit? Yeah, for sure. I think it, it, it factors in a little bit more with the home runs. I know that offense in general goes the way that the, the weather goes and that San Diego and Seattle are the two coldest parks in baseball. So, yeah, we can talk about marine layer. We can talk about, you know, certain you know certain effects like that but i think in the end it's really just temperature and temperature aids you know high high temperatures aid aid the ball's travel so baltimore had is one of the hottest home parks over the course of the season and it so it has the the biggest home run park factors so i think that is mostly tied up in home runs but if you think about the way the ball travels and things like that like you know a, a warning track a warning track ball in one in one temperature if that becomes like a high wall banger then that's a lot harder to catch than you know the easy on just jogging along the warning track so any distance that can be helped you know any sort of three three inches a foot if you get three inches or a foot more you know that's going to help so i do think that that that's sort of a Babbitt stealer for him in San Diego. Okay. Maybe it stole a couple home runs. Maybe he would have been a 28, 29, 30 home run guy last year, you know, without it. But, uh, you know, he also had to, he also had to play in some, in some bad road parks. So I think in general, this will be a, a, a positive switch for him. Yeah. It should be a positive move. He's not getting anywhere like Coors, but uh, U.S. Cellular is pretty nice. Not a ton of great starting pitching in that division either. Obviously Cleveland going to give everybody a run for their money, but, 
it's not a situation where Justin Upton has to pick on favorable parks or favorable pitchers. The dude can hit anybody and do it well. Looking over at roster resource uh, for the projected lineup right now, they have Ghost Maben up at the top, that center field platoon, batting one. Kinsler second, M Miguel Cabrera third, Justin Upton four, Victor Martinez five, and then J.D. Martinez six. What do you do? do you, are you adding value uh, to guys like Anthony Ghost and Cameron Maben with these five guys behind them? Yeah, I think you have to. They, they, it's, it's almost like they shouldn't be at the top of the lineup. So there's a little bit of kind of the saber nerd being like, yeah, Kinsler you know, should be leading off and they should be batting eight or nine. I, I agree with yeah. you there, but I don't think that that's what Osmus is going to do. I think he likes having that center fielder speedy type. Not that so Kinsler, I, I, I can't get it. I can't even come up with a good reason. It's, I think it is what it is. I've come to terms well, with it. it. It's so weird because I think people think of the lineup as like this thing where every inning starts with one, you know, it's like, yeah, once you're only talking about the first inning and then after the first inning, all you're talking about is, is plate appearances. You know, It's like you're giving the, the guys at the top more plate appearances. You know, it doesn't, it's not like every inning starts with Anthony goes at bat, you know? So it's like, uh, and 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 if you thought about it that way, would you really want every inning to start with Anthony Goes exactly. at bat? Exactly. So. Would you want him to? And and then the piece that you mentioned that once you get past the first time through, you're talking about more plate appearances. Do you really want to be giving him and even Cameron Maben the more plate appearances because you're costing guys like V Mart and J D Martinez bumping them down? So you yeah. know, it, that, and that's a really that's a really big deal. I think we saw it a little bit with Billy Hamilton. Uh, you know, the, his value at the end of the year, the, the biggest deal is first to, to eighth or so. Cause I, I found a, I found a, a list of, it was John Dewan's stat of the week a while back in 2006, but I'm sure it hasn't changed too much. The, the number of plate appearances that your first, your lineup, your, your first lineup position gets is 767. Whew. And the eighth guy gets 643. So that's 120 plate appearances more that you're giving that ghost maven platoon. That you could be giving Kinsler. Um, That's the thing. Kim, so. You've got you've got a ready-made. It's not like they don't have somebody that still fits that that traditional mold. If that's what if that's what Osmus really wants up there, somebody you know who has the batting average and some speed. And it's not like Kinsler's power is still 30 homers. We haven't seen that out of him since 2011. So you're not necessarily wasting the pop. I, I think he's a better fit at the top of the lineup there. But they're gonna go with this. It. it it does impact somebody like a J.D. Martinez now going into the sixth spot. How much does that hurt him? What kind of penalty is he looking at? And are you bumping him down now? Because he's been getting some nice helium coming into the uh, into the draft season here as the, the 12th outfielder off the board, a top 40 pick. Do you have to bump him down now as a six hitter? In terms of plate appearances, you know that's why I mentioned that the first to eighth is a big deal. But when you're talking about more granular things like fifth to six, it doesn't turn out to be as big a deal. I mean, okay. that one in particular is between 697 plate appearances and 680. However, that is 17 fewer plate appearances. And also um, the, the same piece uh, looked at how how often you come to bat with, with people on base. Yeah. And uh, the difference between fifth and sixth is uh, between 333 times and 314. So there's, you know, 20 fewer times you come on 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 up to the plate with with men on base, and uh, there's 20 fewer plate appearances. So it could mean what, like 10 fewer 
10 fewer RBI in the end. Sure. Just between those two, between those two stats. Well, you know. of course, that that is, you know, the, the numbers that you're giving are kind of across the league. Is there anything that kind of differentiates when it's more of a high octane offense, a middle of the boat road offense, and then a poor offense? Because maybe some of that, is, and I could be talking out of turn, but maybe some of that's mitigated no. by the fact that the Tigers are going to be a better lineup than your than your run of the mill lineup. Oh, for sure, for sure, and so I think that therefore it's 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 somewhat negligible for JD Martinez. I I found a piece that Tristan Cockroft wrote, but uh, because of the changes at the ESPN platform, the charts fell away. Oh. so I he he actually covered exactly what you're we talking about. I was talking about how Marco Scudero had all these runs one year, and it was a, a lot had to do with the fact that the Giants had had a good lineup and stuff like that. But, oh yeah, um, when he went ape for that for that little period because i i think that was the year that he started in colorado and everyone's like oh marco scooter on colorado everyone in colorado you know it's gonna be harada para this year um <laughs> gotta get that guy because he's in colorado and that's gonna help and it does help i'm not really mocking that as a strategy but scooter for whatever reason just cratered well then he goes to san francisco and you you mentioned it hey, earlier with upton i think you know we didn't give par enough time in the last podcast probably and it, it, I think it is because both of us have like pre Coors hype fatigue on him already. And I think that Scooter is a good name to bring up because, like, how far can Para push that package anyway? You know, it's like yeah, hasn't he? I don't think he's good. He, he just peaked in, in 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 home runs, and Coors doesn't really have that same home run effect anymore. So and he's hit two ninety a couple times before. I mean, is he going to hit three thirty? No. Like I doubt it. Yeah. I, I think it might push it to like three, three or five. Maybe he does have a, a career high in, in, in that, but I doubt that he's a like a three fifty. I doubt he's not going to run a four hundred Babbitt, you know. So <laughs> exactly, uh, it's certainly know, not something so. that we would project. Right, and then the team is not that great that you're like, yeah, yeah. the the stuff that normally comes with like a three oh five batting average may not come with it, you yeah. know, because he may not play uh, full time because he's he's more of a platoon guy and so then you're not going to get that 100 runs or 120 RBI that might come with you know an everyday player that's going to hit 320 so I mean DJ LeMahieu hit 301 last year played the full season 620 plate appearances scored 85 runs and 61 ribbies you know perfectly fine second baseman for what you paid for him but it's not that special I I, I agree with you it's just don't want to get too hyped on somebody like Parra I feel like we've seen kind of his his peaks before they might be mm-hmm. slightly enhanced, but he could go the way of Marco Scudero, who, like I said, didn't really pan out there and had to get traded over before yeah. he could age that a, year. Age is a huge factor because what there's going to be – like he had one of his like peak seasons with his bat, and he's going to have regression off of that. What, what we might just find is that the course helps hide some of that regression. He's – yeah, kind of about the that's same. true. That's, about, that, that, that's a good call. That, that's what it could do. Instead of making it look like he falls back, he kind of emulates last year, and that's the Coors effect. That's fine. I, I, I can get that. Um, talked about this with, with Jason the other day, uh, the, the outfield market. Obviously, now one more chip is down, and we still have Johannes Cespedes at the super high end, and then Dexter uh, Fowler kind of right below him. Who do you see? Which teams do you see as the favorites for these two two guys right now? I think the Angels have to sign a left fielder. I mean, I, I know that their owner has said they're not going to do it. Yeah, but we Owners, hear that stuff all the time. Yeah, they lie. Yeah. I mean, they lie all the time. They, going they back to the Tigers, make... we heard that they were done spending after Zimmerman. That's going to be their big move. Don't sweat them. No Ioannis Cespedes. Yeah, right. Uh-huh. If Upton had signed any somewhere else, they'd have gotten Ioannis Cespedes. Guaranteed. 
Yeah, yeah. And so I think Cespedes is going to end up. He just seems like they're kind of signing now. It's true. I think it. I think it. It's the perfect storm. I've already written a piece about how Cespedes is projected to have the biggest fallback of any of any player in baseball next year. Oh, jeez, because he was so high up last year. Yeah, and the projections have him for. He's going from like seven wins down to like three and a half, so uh, three point six or something. So you know that, and that is based on certain factors. Basically, it, there's no real easy way to yes. Cespedes hit fewer pop-ups, but other than hitting fewer pop-ups and line drive rate, which is like the worst stat in baseball. In terms of stickiness. Yeah. And, and just reliability in any given year, right? Because of how they're classified. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, you know, based on like possible maybe swing changes, the swing level changes that didn't really show up anywhere else in terms of like, you know, ground ball, fly ball and, and pull, pull, push. Like, you know, he didn't, it didn't really, there's no other... There's no like smoking gun. It's like, oh yeah, he started going the other way more, and it really worked out. It was, you know, or he covered the outside part of the plate, or he did this. It just seems like he was the same old guy, and he just hit the ball really hard at the perfect time, and it just really maybe even beat up on some on some bad pitching in the in the National League East, and uh, you know, kind of just had a, a really good, really well timed, you know, like the David Freeze moment. Well. Guess who the Angels have? They have David Freeze. <laughs> and uh, that's gonna piss some people off that we, you know, a, a loose I comparison know. to. But you, you know, you're not saying the skill sets are the same. You're saying that that peak uh, came at the perfect time. I'd say it's a really good time, really well timed peak. And and uh, but I do, I am saying that he has something in common with Josh Hamilton, which is he swings at pitches outside the zone a lot and depends on on contact outside the zone for his power to some extent. I mean, if you look at his, you know, walk and, and strikeout rates and, and, his, and his reach rates, you know this about Yannis Cespedes. If you watch him play, you know this about Yannis Cespedes. And yet, for some reason, we just watched Josh Hamilton fall apart with a similar package. And now we're just going to all bet on Cespedes to do better. I mean, yes, he does seem more athletic, but then, you know, now we're talking about race and 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 like steroids and all sorts of things that could come into to, to mix here. So I'm not comfortable saying that that Hamilton was, was a bad athlete and that's why what happened happened. That doesn't seem right to me at all. I remember Hamilton as you know, being oh. a guy 30, 30 and run all over the place. And, and when he had that season, when he had his MVP year where he kind of missed the time at the end, I mean, he looked like one of the best players in the, in the universe. Uh, then I know that was a few years ago, but even 2012 um, when he kind of had the rebirth off of, uh, off of the, uh, another injury riddled 2011, he's looking fantastic out there. Honestly, you know, it, it's these things always sound crazy when you're trying to predict them because it's hard for people to kind of get their minds around the fall off, right? Because you know right. you don't see it coming, but it happens all the freaking time. And honestly, yeah. a skill set like this is dangerous. That's why when the rumor came out yesterday, that the Tigers were talking to Cespedes. I said, okay, that's fine, but I I greatly prefer Upton in terms of profile of what they've got. Uh, you know. Get rid of the one-year difference of age. Even if they were at the same age, I would prefer Upton to Cespedes. So you're talking yeah. Angels there. Let's go ahead. Well, and the say- Angels – and the reason I'm talking Angels is I actually did a piece where I found the biggest holes on the contenders left and left field for the Angels is the biggest hole it's, out there. It's huge. It's absolutely huge. And so I, I agree with you. They've got to make a move. You know, I, I, Same things they've, we've heard about, the money, whatever. 
they got to pony up if they if they really want to give this another run. They've got to pony up. I, I almost think that their situation is more dire than Detroit's. We keep hearing how how dire Detroit's situation is once you know they kind of get through this this little run here. I think the Angels have got a much worse setup, to be honest, even though they have Mike Trout. I, that covers a lot, but this isn't basketball. You can't just have the one star, and yeah. it, and it's going to be all right. I mean, And how long is that window going to be open? Albert Pujols this year is projected to be less than average. He's I mean, didn't he fade hard last year after that great starter? Yeah. He had like a great middle. It's not like Pujols dominated all year. No, and your, your window of competition is based on having Albert Pujols be representative – you know, like a one fifteen WRC plus at least. Like, yeah, you need and, plus and, value. Yeah, so I think your window of competition is based on Cole Calhoun, who's in the middle of his peak and is not going to last that. I mean, I don't. He's not a star. Yeah, exactly. And there's not a lot of projectability left. He was always old for his levels, and you know, this is Cole Calhoun. So you're not projecting a lot of growth out of him. You, and then, and then Trout being good. I guess now Simmons being there. Uh, but I don't think that Simmons is like an offensive force. So uh, that's kind of – that's your window along with maybe Garrett Richards. With Richards, being yeah. Cheap and, 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 and command. And then like what Haney can do. Haney being the wild card. Like if you can if you can play all those veterans into back of rotation, all of a sudden Haney and Richards are your one-two. Yeah. Uh, that's that, – I'm describing their window of competition. It's not uh, it's not one that seems to be made out of iron. You know? uh, exactly. In fact, it, it's it's made out of crackers because one injury. What are they dipping into? I don't know how I went from iron to crackers, but yeah. it, it's going <laughs> to fall apart in a second because they have stripped that again. Kind of comparing them to the Tigers. We all talk about how the Tigers have stripped their system. It's nothing compared to what uh, what the Angels did. And part of that is the Tigers were able to kind of replenish on the fly last year. That's why I liked what they did in Jan- uh, January, in July so much to kind of restock yeah, Fulmer, a little Fulmer, bit. Fulmer is going to be interesting because, you know, Brad Fulmer, the guy that got uh, Persepolis. Michael Fulmer. Michael Fulmer, Fulmer, the guy that Fulmer got Persepolis, is going to be – they're six or seven guy. I mean, he's going to be right there with Green exactly. in case uh, Mike. Well, we know Mike Pelfrey is going to. So when Mike Pelfrey, well, Mike Pelfrey implodes, shows his true colors, if Sanchez's yeah. shoulder isn't good, you know, Norris is not a, a sure thing. They're going to need some backups. You definitely, you definitely understand well, that behind Zimmerman, Verlander kind of leading the charge there. But uh, I agree with you, Cespedes, good fit for LA. They got to pony up and do it if they really want to have a shot here. What about Fowler then? What what what's the deal on him? How far back is he really from these guys that we're talking about? Considering that he can play center, so he can play all three positions on in the outfield. Always been kind of a plus player. Uh, had his homer peak last year. Now here's the thing. Maybe it's just me, but in my mind, I kind of had Fowler a little bit younger. He's going to be 30 next year. So he's kind of in the back end of his peak. What do you think about Fowler, and, and what kind of fit does he have? There's, I think the, one of the problems is that people aren't – there's no consensus about his defense and you know where his true defensive position is. So there, it isn't obvious if he is a center fielder and, and, what, and where he'll end up. I know that uh, the White Sox – or have been sort of the other rumor destination for Cespedes. And, you know, that actually, I think, is an okay place for Fowler to end up because even if they keep Eaton in center field, Melky Cabrera and Avisel Garcia around him, 
Uh, and we don't not... know if LaRoche is going to hold up. He's going to be 37 this year, and he was garbage. So you could move Avasale to DH, and then you're doing um, an Eaton-Cabrera-Fowler right. outfield. I, I love that. By the way, uh, before you keep going, Colette said the same thing to me on Gchat because he, he keeps wondering what the heck is – what's Fowler? What are they going to do with Fowler? What is going on? And he, he says he wants to put him in Chicago as well. So I, I like where you guys' heads at. On that, I think he's a great fit to kind of be that two-hole hitter behind Eaton and in front of Abreu and Frazier, too. I think he could really benefit. Then you're talking like six or seven hitter for Cabrera. You got Lowry behind him. Avisail Garcia is like an eight hitter now. All of a sudden, that lineup really thickens up. Yeah, and, and they, they seem to be wanting to get better. And once you get past Fowler and Cespedes, the outfield is uh, Matt Joyce, Austin Jackson. Yeah, Jackson has the, uh, has a little kick left, but not really Steve what you Pierce want here. I mean, this yeah, we're finally getting down to the end of it. So, I mean, the only other option is, like, I don't think it's pillow is the right word, but uh, maybe one of these deals with opt-outs or no-trade clauses or something where he just goes to the Phillies or Braves or something, takes their money, and they either turn him into a trade chip later or, you know, he's like the worst player, the worst old veteran on their when their when their teams are good again. So, yeah, I mean, maybe they like something about the way they think he can age. I mean, the, he does have a broad skill set. So, you Great know, he could be forever. He could age a little bit like a Granderson light where, uh, you know, he's still giving you a little bit like in the corner outfield. You move into the corner outfield. And all of a sudden he's giving you a little bit uh, more with the glove. And uh, he's giving a little bit more with the, the speed and the patience. So, uh, you know, I, I think there could be some enterprising team, but really the, yeah, the White Sox and the Angels. And, and, and it, you couldn't have a more disparate set of outcomes. I mean, you really, if, for all of these things, you want Cespedes in White Sox territory. If, if you own Cespedes, you want the, the White Sox to go get him because that's the best pairing oh, of Park and Power. That'd be fantastic. And, uh, and, and Fowler on the Angels, honestly, it could work too. That would I work. mean, you know, uh, good defense. It gives you He's know, like a and that's better a, that's Calhoun not, uh, at that point. Yeah. And you can put no cost and less money. So yeah. So no, no, I, I agree. Th those two could flip and it would still work. But Cespedes and U.S. Cellular, that would be prime, especially you know if you want to kind of fight off some of the regression in that batting average, kind of oh, keep man. the power up by being in U.S. Cellular with Abreu and Frazier. We've never seen him play like a whole a whole year. In, in that kind of park. I mean, we, I, I know that it didn't quite work out in, in, in Boston that we, that, you know, it was as good as, as, as we thought it would be in Boston, but you know, there's something about a full year and Absolutely. About, you know, putting your roots down and, and, and for what it's worth, New York was one of the better offensive parks that he played in and, and he went nuts. So yeah, he killed it. He killed it. So yeah, Cespedes is probably still, uh, it's probably the biggest chip left on the board. Well, you know, Keep an eye on that. I do think these two teams that you're talking about are the ones that are really going to emerge, though, and have to make a move with these outfielders uh, because the musical chairs, you know, it's about to stop, and you're going to be left holding Steve Pierce, and nobody wants that. Uh, one last rumor before we get in to talk some outfield. I want to I want to get your thoughts on the rankings that Jason and I spoke about yesterday after they went up on Rotographs. Uh, Greg Bird likely to head to AAA to start the season. This is not a, a massive surprise at all. You know, Mark Teixeira, the only reason that he was out was because he got hurt. He actually had a pretty strong year in a bounce-back situation for them. I don't think that anybody's terribly surprised because you can't really put Bird anywhere else but first. But Brian Cashman was on Yes Network. I'll include the video clip uh, with the podcast. You can kind of see that, you know, so we'll see how the team shakes out, but 
doesn't really have the flexibility. He got he has to get those everyday reps, so he's going to start down there. What do you think of Greg Bird? And obviously with Mark Teixeira, you know, he's like a thousand years old, actually uh, 36, not quite a thousand. Um, health is always a concern. You know, that stifled his season last year after 111 games, 123 the year before, just 15 the year before that, 123 the year before that. So the last four years have been injury marred for Teixeira. So I don't think you can forget Bird. But what kind of what, what kind of outlook do you have for him in 2016, considering that he does have a roadblock? I think it has to make him more of a of a bench player, you know. I think, or a bench pick in in drafts, like a flat reserve. You don't even draft him until you're uh, out of the re- or bench, you know, like uh, you know a guy you could spend some money on him, but you, you and then but, you flip him to your okay, yeah, you know, I, yeah. You have to think of him as a, a guy without a job, I and mean, that's that's huge. And I think one of the first things I ever did come into fantasy was. And in fact, when people ask me sort of 101, fantasy 101, I say, look at the depth charts. Just find find a, a playing time battle. Find a, a place where there's a weakness. The team doesn't exactly know what's going to go on. And then try to figure out who you think is going to win that playing time battle. So, you know, opportunity. another way of saying it is opportunity is almost more important than talent. Oh, absolutely. And- I mean, we're talking about major leaguers here. So even the guys that we say, quote unquote, suck. Are amazing, right. amazing baseball players, and a lot of them, if they just get a chance, you'll find out that actually they don't necessarily suck. And and getting 600 plate appearances can deliver some value. By the way, you mentioned just kind of following position battles. You can now do that at Rotographs. We just started our our depth chart discussions, which are focused on playing time battles for both hitters and pitchers of each team. Three of them went up today. Brad Johnson on the Phillies. We had. Um, Oh, who did, oh, Alex Chamberlain did the Indians, and then Rylan Edwards did the Yankees. And I actually didn't read his yet. I wonder if he got in before the uh, before that news of Greg Bird came out or, or not. But uh, definitely follow that. You can find it under the draft tools on the right-hand side under we're, playing time battles. We're, we're trying to make those more uh, streamlined than they were in the past. That's why there's fewer fewer of them. And what we're trying to do is just talk about the real position time battles. Yeah, so just the competitions. That Ryland, Ryland's uh, debut post for us was uh, a lot about Aaron Hicks. And um, Boy, I love Hicks. And, yeah, he, he made a convincing argument that he'll be valuable even if, if he doesn't take the job. But um, if he does take the job, then there's, uh, there's, a, there's a lot of potential there. So... Uh, yeah, we're, we'll uh, we'll be following that. And I think you know he did mention Bird as well, but he he guessed that Bird would end up in AAA, so uh, he he guessed correctly on there that one. But it, it, to your point, though, you know you said you could still pay some money for him. This is something I've been kind of thinking about a lot this winter that I, I want to get better on. Don't get so focused on April. It is a six month season, and yes, you know you do need guys with playing time, and you should definitely be looking at ch- depth charts to see who's angling for that playing time. But don't just completely discount a guy because he might start the season in AAA, particularly if you are playing in deeper leagues with reserves that you know you're going to have to tap into those reserves. You want quality players. And and think about all the guys that came up in season last year and dominated. We're not going to have another historical rookie class like that, but you can't just completely forget about a guy uh, thinking, well, he's not going to be up until whenever. Uh, I just I can't worry about that. April's only one month, and so much yeah. changes through the course we, of the year. We talked about Chris Liss's gambit, the, the the buy the young player that might that might change everything in the second half. Yep. I think that in in looking at the the top ten right now and how you know so many players came up last year and there's 
been so much, the minor leagues have been so mined that I would say that Greg Bird is actually one of the top prospects, quote unquote. You have to That's a good call. put it back on that prospect list, even if he, you know, doesn't belong there by age or, or plate appearances or whatever. So, uh, you know, I think Greg Bird would be a great way to protect a Mike Napoli investment. You know, you could spend five, like, I'm not sure how, I haven't even done my values yet, but let's say Mike Napoli ends up being, or James Loney ends up being a $5 guy. You know, you spend $5 on Greg Bird. It doesn't necessarily, the projections for Greg Bird at 350 plate appearances aren't necessarily four or $5 of value. Sure. And so you did stretch your value sheet and you're you're not going the way uh, that certain players would have you play. I mean, it's, I'm thinking of Larry Schechter and he's very much a price enforcer and this is the price you get them at. That's it. Mm-hmm. But I, I do think that, you know, to win these leagues, a lot of things have to go right. And betting on on things to go right is an interesting way to go. Because especially if, like, you're protecting a weak position and you're saying, okay, I'm going to spend $4 on James Loney for floor, you know, and, and I'm just going to hope that he exists at the position <laughs> for a full year. And I'm going to spend another 4 or $5 on on – Greg Bird, and my hope is that I get at least one ten dollar first baseman out of this. But at most, I get uh, like an eight to ten dollar James Loney, and then a fifteen dollar Greg Bird. You know, exactly so. because you're also obviously in this particular instance betting on Teixeira's health at age thirty six. Like I said, four years that he hasn't been able to stay upright, even if he gets back up to the 123 that we've seen twice in those four years. That still leaves a chunk of playing time for Greg Bird. So, uh, you know, and he's hardly the, uh, Teixeira's hardly the only old guy that they've got. We still got a 41-year-old A-Rod at DH, and he's great last year, and all that worked out. But is that going to happen again? Is he going to stay upright for, for the whole season as well? So there, there can be opportunities. And I really like what you're saying about don't just get caught up on guys who are actually on prospect lists because of uh, played appearances and service time. Some of these guys who, you know, only played 50 games, but definitely broke their rookie threshold. They're kind of your next, next level prospects because the lists have thinned out after last year. All right, Dino, let's go ahead and talk outfielder rankings. You didn't get a chance to to dive in on to, into that with us uh, yesterday when Jason and I talked about it. So I'm going to give you kind of the, 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 the same rundown here. First off, I just want to get your overview at the position. Do you think it's deep? How, how do you handle it in a draft? What do you think of outfield as, at, at first blush in 2016? It's, it, it's always one of my favorite positions because – it's I, I think it is uh, I would say it's deep and also star uh, star laden. I mean, it's just it's got two of the best players in the game. One, two. It's probably got the two best players in the game. One, two, no matter how you put them. Absolutely. And so you start with that. And then, you know, there's another tier of really, really good ones that starts with Stanton and probably goes all the way down to Springer. And, that, you know, that's those are all beautiful, beautiful bats. You know, I think uh, once you get to Nelson Cruz and J.D. Martinez. Don't um, dare and, say anything bad about J.D. Martinez. Well, I'm just saying I'm that teasing, that's teasing. the next. That's, I would say that's another tier. Agreed. Because it's just a few more questions. It's, I put Kane and Gomez, Lorenzo Kane and Carlos Gomez in that tier because they have the health questions. J.D. Martinez, a little bit of a batting average question. Um, always a little bit of risk given his story coming up. But that's the worst thing I'll ever say about Jason, about J.D. Martinez. I can, I can um, accept that. I can accept that. And, 
And, and but even that tier has some players like I I was gonna say this is bleeding a little bit into the next one, but uh, Yasiel Puig is a, is a player I like given his ranking. Absolutely. And, I mean, the the upside there is still so high. Think about what he how he was thought of coming into last year. Now just flip the calendar back a full year and think about the expectations that were were tied to a 24 year old Yasiel Puig. He obviously failed against those expectations. He only played 79 games. But even in those 79 games, he was still, you know, an above-average player. He still had a 181 ISO, which was just four points off what Yasiel Puig did in 2015. So, or excuse me, in 2014. So I, I hear you there in terms of not only is it star-laden, but then there's that middle tier. And I think that's the real fun tier when you're talking about your Yasiel Puigs, your Adam Eatons, your uh, Gregory Polanco, somebody we're going to talk about in the email section in a little bit. Um, I do like that, that middle tier as well. I've got a few questions for you directly related to outfield. Uh, and, and first, do you prefer the power speed combos or the category studs? You know, I'm t- talking about guys like Nelson Cruz, Billy Hamilton, that sort of those. Where do you lean, generally speaking, as you kind of go through the draft? Are you trying to get 15 homers and 12 stolen bases? Or are you like, let me just get the 30 homer, zero steal guy. I'll figure steals for another guy later. How, how do you do it with, with your outfielders? You know, my general philosophy is to start with the combo guys and be to- and as the draft goes on, be more and more fine with the, the guys that are, are single category guys. I mean, there's a couple of things going on here. For one, you can actually just put it, you can put a value on these things by way of standard gains points or Z scores or projection, you know, the auction calculator. You can put a value on their production and you can say you can compare what you know, Giancarlo Stanton versus Billy Billy Hamilton versus, you know, Andrew McCutcheon. You can compare those guys, and it's going to spit out a number. At the same time, every draft is different, I think. And, mm-hmm. you know, when you're – I think that if you go with a category stud early in the in the game, it reduces your choice, your your amount of choice the rest of the way through the, the league. And that's and not, I think Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, it, 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 it's just the thing that – especially, I think, more in snake drafts than auction drafts. In auction drafts – the whole world is your oyster, and you can buy whoever you want to buy. So if you see that Billy Hamilton is not going for enough, then you just buy Billy Hamilton, and then you spend more on power the rest of the way, and you can get Chris Davis, and you can get all these guys th- that fit your, your Billy Hamilton acquisition. That's but if you're in a snake point. league, you know, you're at the mercy of who's available at your pick. Uh, and so taking a guy – Stanton's a little bit like that, but Stanton's good enough across the board where it's not that bad – uh, I think one of the first real uh, tests of your of your willingness to do the the category guy is Billy Hamilton because you know by our consensus ranks he's 27. Uh, Jeff Zimmerman who does it basically just on projections with little else to do on top of it has him 10th. Yeah, he, he makes no alterations. That's just what his system spits out. And that's and that's fine because you understand that you know by a projection that's going to give him 70 stolen bases with stolen bases around the league. You know that. Those are all valuable, and mm-hmm. and you also know that in his past work, Jeff Zimmerman has shown that a home run is almost as equal to a stolen base in terms of value. So uh, Billy Hamilton, you could call him a 70 home run hitter. You know, I mean, like Absolutely. if you want to think about value. So um, you know, so just on value, Billy Hamilton should go higher. But in a snake in a snake draft, if I'm taking Billy Hamilton. That means I have to really think about batting average and power, like the rest of the way. And how do I think about batting average and power? Because those two things don't go together. They run counter exactly. And 
with that thing, you know, I we talked about this a little bit last year. Jeff and I did when when he wrote about that, and maybe I asked him about it. and I didn't get. I don't remember the answer, but can you really do that stolen base to home run equation when a home run also gives you a run and at least one RBI? D- doesn't that then skew the value of, of how much that homer's worth? Or is that already baked in and, he, and it still comes out as an no, I, to one measure? You know, stolen bases, I, I tried to look at, you know, what what is the most puntable stat, and it is, it is pretty much stolen bases because, yes, stolen bases is – co-linked to runs sure. in some in some of the ways the ways that HR that home runs are related to runs and RBI but there's there isn't that second and and the 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 relationship isn't as strong as it is because a home run is a run and an RBI uh, yeah guaranteed uh, run and RBI yeah whereas a stolen base is not uh, guaranteed anything and um and then the the link also is to batting average as well, but it's not it's not as strong because there are guys like Billy Hamilton that don't have great batting averages that that yeah, steal bases. Yeah, the, so the link is that sometimes the speedy guy has that speed to to ensure a good batting average, like a D Gordon and a Jose Altuve, right? But Hamilton in particular does not. No, so he puts you in a sort of a bind when you when you when you when you draft him and yeah, you know. I, so I, I I you know at twenty seven I might jump in that pool because. I might, I might already have, like, if I'm looking at Billy Hamilton at 27, which is that's his, his outfield ranking for us, I might buy that. 10 is way too early for me just because I can get guys that give me five categories of goodness and don't lock me into any decisions later. Like, exactly. at 10, I'm looking at Charlie Blackman as the ultimate five-category guy. I could have Blackman and Pollock, uh, you know, or Hamilton. No, I'm going to take a, a guy or a Starling Marte or Jose Bautista. Braun more was lock- five categories last year. Yeah, so I'm going to take one of those guys that gives me across the board. Down at 27, I might already own two outfielders, and we're talking about my third outfielder, and I might own uh, guys with good batting averages. I sure. might have taken, I might have taken uh, Pollock or Blackman, and I might paired, I might have paired them with uh, Justin Upton or, or, or Yasiel Puig, meaning that I could still use the stolen bases. I've, I've built in a decent place where I have good batting average and some power and stuff. And my projection system says that he's worth a lot more than that than that moment at 27. So there, I can I can dig on it. But um, where he is, I think uh, I think that gets to answer your question. Of it's a really long winded answer, but no, uh, I, I like it because how I'm, I look at these. Things. I'm still fascinated by this discussion here because I I think getting too hung up on these dollar values when it comes to these guys like Billy Hamilton is going to lead you astray because of the upkeep. First off, like you're talking about in draft and also in season, because there is a point. Let's say you you not only got Billy Hamilton, but you you get lucky with this year's Billy Burns, who gives you another 35 steals. Plus, you got your chip ins from everybody else, and you got too many steals at this point. Now you have to go make the move. So uh, because you can only win steals by so many. You know, having a 70 steal lead that's not useful at all. Um, if you are, which is, I think. Go ahead. It's, it's another argument for NFBC. NFBC uh, rankings being great because you can't uh, you can't trade exactly. And so everybody who drafts on NFBC for the most part is trying to build a a, a, a mixed lineup. Is trying to build a, a a strong team across all categories. Yeah, a team that can sustain all year. Um, you know. Obviously, they, everyone knows they're going to make moves, but you don't know what moves you're going to make. So you want to have a little something for everything so that you can kind of adjust. 
And given how hard trades are, how much it is pulling teeth and nails, and how dickish some people are, and how, and and just how ridiculous, how the worst of humanity, the worst of humanity is represented in in your average trade discussion battle. You know, I, I just just the most my guys are good and your guys suck, and I'm going to be petulant about it. And, and, and the more they want a guy. Other. The more that they're going to pretend that that guy sucks, and that's what's always bothered me. And listen, I will raise my hand and say that the younger me was a douchebag who did that. I'd write this <laughs> diatribe point by point about how this player I desperately wanted sucked, and then I would just get an email back that said – if he's so bad, why do you want him? I'm like, yeah, Paul, you're kind of a dildo. So, you know, <laughs> don't do yeah. that. I learned. <laughs> don't do that. I, I honestly, I really try to build win-win deals. You know, I want to get my, I want to get mine, but I know I got to give up. I'm not trying to have a 50 chain, uh, a 50 email oh, chain yeah. about the trade. So let's just try to start. I'm, I'm not necessarily my coming with my first offer is a good one. What's you that? Know, I don't. I, my first offer is a good one. Exactly. I don't bother with the eight million. That came before. Ugh. No, that's what I was gonna say. I don't come necessarily with my A plus offer, but I definitely come with a B plus that the guy yeah. can look at it and say, okay, I'm at least gonna come to the table here and discuss. So no, I definitely hear you on all of that. Um, I think the Billy Hamilton discussion is one that kind of will continue to go on because it is so fascinating and there are a lot of different ways to kind of skin that cat, as they say. But I want to get uh, the same thing I got from Jason out of you. A couple guys that you're higher on, a couple guys that you're lower on compared to these ranks. I think you might have tipped off one on the higher a little bit earlier, but give me two guys that you're higher on than these outfield composite ranks. Well, I mentioned Yasiel Puig. Okay. And it's mostly because I – it's the Jorge Soler package that I've talked about. Up the middle approach. He's shown the ability to make adjustments in, in terms of push and pull. He's shown the ability to make adjustments in terms of reach rate and, and plate discipline. He's got all of the physical tools you need. And he's put together, you know, in different seasons, the parts of a great season. You know, uh, so, I, you know, I find that I've, it's the Jorge Soler package, but a little bit older and a little bit more entrenched and a little bit more expensive. So, you know, not, not as, <laughs> not as attractive, but um, in terms of cost, I mean, he's, you know, Puig's going to cost you a, a, this price of a 25th best outfielder. Jorge Soler for us is the 60 or 56th one. And, you know, the low man on our, on our list gave him 79th. So, um, you know, it's a different terms of investment, but I like, I like him for the same reasons. I like Jorge Soler. If you would have done rankings, your, so your Soler ranking would have been similar to Jeff's Billy Hamilton ranking, right? You, you would have had Soler yeah, 10. No, God, I'm just kidding. Okay. <laughs> I know you wouldn't have put him that high. Who's another guy that you, that you're looking at saying, you know what, that number's a little bit low. I would definitely take him higher and you, and you can't say Soler cause we know you'd take him higher than that 56 mark. Actually, I feel pretty good about him being 56. Okay. I, I, want, I wanted him to be a, a top five outfielder for sure, and uh, you know, I might, I might push him up a little bit, but you know, it's not a terrible place to be. I mean, I like Will Myers for a lot of the same reasons as I like Jorge Soler. There's obviously risk. Obviously, I'd take him ahead of Jay Bruce. I'd probably take him ahead of Mike, Mark Trumbo. But and this, this came up in, as an from an email. Uh, someone said claimed I was beaming about Michael Conforto. Um, I am. I am. I am too, by the way. He's amazing. And he's got opposite field power, and he's not striking out too much, and he showed good patience in his first time through 
the major leagues. It was at 20 really years impressive old. what yeah, he did. And really I think people impressive. forget he was a top 10 pick. You know, yeah. I know that doesn't always matter. Like you can't just throw that around, but you know, I feel like drafting is getting better. Draft pedigree almost means a little bit more now than it did back in the day because teams, I think, are getting better with it. You're talking about a guy drafted that high. Maybe he didn't get the run that some of these other prospects have gotten, but I think that might have been a failing on the, the, you know, the, pros- the fantasy prospect community because the dude can just flat hit, and that's what we care about most in fantasy baseball. His biggest flaw was supposed to be his fielding, and even that looked better last year in, in, the, in the spurts that I saw him. It definitely didn't look as the name I was I was gonna say was Schwarber, because uh, Schwarber, I think, uh, very I- impressive in another way. He's a little bit more of a traditional just brute. Um, he is, he, what power! What unbelievable yeah, power that guy has! He's right. a monster. And I and I, but also you know there's a lot of smarts. I mean, there was that post from Jeff Sullivan about how he kept getting the ball outside. You know, he kept getting the pitch the ball outside. So he just like moved his foot a little bit differently after after the pitch was thrown to him and just blasted the ball to the opposite field. So you know he's thinking at the plate too, and I don't think that they're gonna really put play him at catcher. So I don't think there's really any playing time risk. I think he's gonna be a you know 600 plate appearance guy. He's young. They're gonna play him in that outfield until you know it's just nobody thinks he can do it. So, uh, uh, you know, Schwarber, that seemed a little bit low to me. I think the, 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 the home run projections, given the power we've already seen from them, are low. And Conforto, Conforto is a little bit low, but I think it's more about the construction of his line and where things are going to place that I disagree with than necessarily sort of the overall idea of him being that way. Like, uh, the fans give him a 283 batting average. Like, I, I, I take that over the 260 steamer projected batting average because I see a guy who go, who can go oppo and so is going to be co- be able to cover the pitch from lefties, the outside pitch. Yeah, he and got a he, tiny sample against lefties. He wasn't good in it, but it was a nothing sample. I think he can yeah. I think he's not, I think he can hold his own against lefties. I'm not saying dominate them, right. but be average enough to where you're really making that hay against righties and, and it's not killing your average every time you face a lefty. Yeah, I think that's I think we're I think that's where some of the steamer projection comes from. The the fans get a little bit aggressive on the power end, give them a 202 ISO compared to steamers 176 and 23 homers against the 19 homers. It's an interesting thing. I do, I think you can hit 20 homers. I'm not sure where that ISO is going to end up. Uh, but on both cases, you know, I think the OBP the OBP on steamer I think is light. 7.7% walk rate, 321 OPB projected. This guy has great plate discipline when you ask me. I think he has a real good sense of where the plate is. I think you know the fans have it right giving a 357 OBP, 360 OBP. So uh, yeah, I mean if you look at it, it's really the Joey Votto package. And I don't I don't want to put a comp on it that sounds ridiculous because Joey Votto is the most Joey Votto of all Joey Votto's. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, it is what is the Joey Votto package, you know, good patience, good contact ability, opposite field power. So, you know, it's really – it doesn't need to go all the way Joey Votto, and I wouldn't – I'm not projecting it to. Not, you, the numbers I was talking about aren't projecting it to, but it, it does have that potential, and it just looked really, really solid in, in something that the Mets fans really need. So, uh, yeah, that's why that's why I – Conferto – and then Schwarber doesn't really have that same – those same, that he isn't really taking those same boxes, but it's such great power – 
I think that um, I'm not sure why he was uh, ranked so low by some people. Part of that was was me. Um, I just what, what kind of batting average is he going to have? He hit 246 last year. His first two months, he he hit high batting average. Schwarber did, but it was built on like a 430 BABIP. Obviously, there was it was low during the the last two months when uh, you know he hit like 212 or whatever. Really came down, but. That strikeout rate was present the whole time. I know he walks a lot more than this guy, but how much different is his his fantasy profile than someone like Evan Gaddis's? Assuming you don't count OBP, because obviously that's a drastic difference between those two. But I'm looking at it and I'm feeling like Schwarber's getting pumped up because of his catcher eligibility, the same way Gaddis did last year. And Gaddis was good, mind you. He was he ended up being the second rated catcher behind uh, Buster Posey, which a lot of people thought, but he was light years behind Buster Posey. So I still think he was being overdrafted where he was uh, for Gaddis as a top. He was almost like a top 80 pick, and he certainly didn't play up as even a top 80 hitter, let alone a top 80 player. How much different is, is Schwarber when you're talking about the power and the low average situation? Because honestly, throughout his minors, even when Schwarber had the big batting averages, it was a lot because of these obscene BABIPs. And I know that guys who hit the ball hard can keep like a high BABIP, but not like a 400 BABIP. Right. So, I mean, am, am, am I too far off base with that? Is the walk rate that big of a difference that maybe can help Schwarber? Or are we just, I mean, there's nothing wrong with 30 and 100, which he could get to. The fans project him for that. Steamer has him 25, 75 for Schwarber, but. I don't know. I'm just. I, I'm not seeing the overwhelming upside for this year. I think the swing and miss is so high that I, I just don't see an explosion this year for for Schwarber, and that's why I didn't rank him so high. Yeah, yeah. I guess I I was a little bit. I think that uh, I might have been overreacting to just the names just around him uh, because okay. you know, like a Matt Kemp, I take Schwarber over. Um, and because I don't think Matt Kemp's going to have a great batting average, and that's, I don't think he's going to steal many bases. And Peterson's and, right above him. Peterson's actually kind of similar, uh, right yeah. down to the fact that he also has that great walk rate, low batting average, big power. But here's right. one thing that I think we could see is uh, Jock Peterson run. He ran in the minors, and he didn't run at all last year. That kind of reminds me of when George Springer came up. He didn't run that first year, and everyone was like, well, was he even going to run because he ran in the minors? And then he kind of got settled as a major leaguer last year and started running. He only played 102 games for Springer, but he stole 16 bases. I think Peterson is actually going to add some stolen bases this year. So even if he does have those same kind of batting average struggles, uh, he can make up for it in that realm. So I prefer Peterson to Schwarber as well. Yeah. Yeah, running is a tough one, man. It just uh, it ages so poorly. I was going to, you know, for, for the two players I didn't like so much. Oh, yeah, yeah. Let's go ahead and get into those. The first one that, that comes to mind is, is Andrew McCutcheon. And it's just because I don't think that there's he's going to hit 30 home runs again. I mean, he's the kind of player I'd love to have on my real-life squad. But in terms of fantasy, I doubt – he may not even crack 10 stolen bases this year. It's been very linear the way his stolen bases have gone down. He's had – you know, leg injuries while he's, you know, over the last couple of years, they don't want him to get hurt, you know, legging out the, the 12th stolen base of the year. Sure. And uh, he hasn't developed that sort of 30 home run power. And if you're not talking OBP, it's a good batting average, but it's not like a 350 type thing. It's a, uh, you know, a 290 sort of type batting average. I was so. going to point that OBP piece out. Yeah, obviously 
that we're talking standard league here because his dynamic uh, almost changes similar to like a Joey Votto when you're talking about moving into the OBP realm. Yeah. McCutcheon has four years in a row of 400 or better. Uh, so yeah. that's a completely different dynamic. But to your point about the stolen bases, 27, 18, 11. He strikes me as somebody who could get the low double digits again with like a high efficiency. But we're, I, don't, I just don't think we're going to see the 30 plus attempts that we saw in his uh, early to mid 20s now that we're in the late 20s yeah yeah and, and just you know the fact that uh let's see here only jeff zimmerman had a mate and, and, and nobody Paul everyone else Spore. had a top five no and only jeff zimmerman and yourself uh ranked bets ahead of him oh yeah yeah that's and crazy. i would just that's like a easy flip for me and i know that that doesn't seem very impressive because uh it's like one spot and we're just talking about one spot but when you're at the top five, you know, flipping a spot is a big deal. Exactly. It could be yeah. like four spots in the draft. And we're talking these first two rounds here where I'd, it, I'd just rather have bets because bets is going to give you the same batting average. He's probably going to give you the same power and he's definitely going to give you more stolen bases. And when you compare the lineups, you know, I think Boston's going to have one of the best lineups in the league. Agreed. Agreed. No, so. I, I like you said, I was one of the ones who did that. That one was easy yeah. for me. I might even have McCutcheon a little too high if you're that tepid on the on the speed coming back. Might have to look at that between he I and mean, AJ Pollock when I yeah, do my update. Yeah, look at Pollock is what I'm saying, and and Marte. I mean, if we're if we're gonna look at guys with that sort of speed and power package, I mean Bryant's a totally a totally different you know type of player, but um, he's right in the middle there between those guys. But uh, yeah, I mean you know looking at catch. Kutch, Betts, Pollock, Marte. It's not clear to me that Kutch isn't last of that of that grouping. And that's completely fair. And I think a lot of folks would have him first automatically. And that's a name value situation that maybe you have to kind of go back and check it. I mean, I'll take him ahead of Marte, I guess. But I, I mean, I'm not so sure that that's completely true. And and Jeff Zimmerman, who goes off of mostly just projected numbers, actually has Marte ahead of Kutch too. So, um, you know. Two spots. Again, we're talking top 10. Two spots doesn't feel like a lot, but when we in that top, top 10 level, it means a little bit more. Uh, he has Charlie Blackman ahead of him as well. You said earlier, ultimate kind of five-category five sort of guy. Where, where do you think Blackman between Mc, – uh, excuse me. Where are you going with Blackman versus McCutcheon? I'll keep Blackman – I'm keeping Blackman in Colorado, which I suppose is the source of some people's uh, lower rankings. Certainly. And uh, so I'm going to give Blackman that that high BABIP again, and um, you know I'll I'll take I'll take Pollock I'll take them all over Blackman, but I, I like where he ended up. I'm 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 glad he didn't end up at 14, 15, 16. I, I I think he's a top 10 guy, and I'd rather have him than the guy right behind him, Ryan Braun, because of age for the most part. Yes, and, I, you know I, I agonize between. Blackman and Springer, and I know it was one spot, but you know it was that top ten. And uh, but at least Blackman still made the top ten, even though I had him eleven. Who's the second guy that you're a little bit more down on than the uh, than the group of us? Well, I mentioned Kemp, and um, he, he's over at uh, where did we say he was? Oh, 33rd overall, with a high of 30th from two guys and a low of 45th. The, the Dan and Mike, uh, Dan Schwartz, Mike Podhorzer, have got him at 30th, and then Brad has him uh, as the low guy there. He's not, he's not, he's, again, it's not a terrible placement in terms of rankings. It's just that I would rather have Schwarber, like I said. Mm -hmm. uh, I might even rather have Chris Davis. Because, With a K. 
I could, yeah, with the K because I can you count on his power. If I'm going to go with an older guy, I might go with Holiday, who are just, you know, going to give me the batting average and homers when he's in there. I'd rather have Brett Gardner. These are all guys that are listed behind Matt Kemp. So, um, you know, I don't, uh, I, I think that, you know, that late, that late career steals resurgence that we, he showed last year. I just think that's a paper, a paper tiger or, you know, a dead cat bounce. I think he's going to go back to stealing six, seven, eight stolen bases. And, you know, the Babbitt love that he's, that he got early career when he was just smacking the ball. I don't think that he's going to keep getting that. And so, you know, 260 is going to be 250. And then you're talking about a 250 hitter with, you know, 22 homers and six stolen bases. It's just like, ugh. Hey, that's another guy, by the way, who went to San Diego and saw what is usually a high BABIP come down. Again, 311, you look at it, you say, oh, that's not so bad. But But as you were saying, Kemp was an established 340 kind of guy. I mean, his BABIPs were high because he smashes the ball. So that was a big drop for him. And again, maybe that park is playing into that. So, okay, Kemp and McCutcheon, two big-time names that people, you know, those are names that that, uh, their value, whenever your name value, that kind of pushes you up a little bit more maybe than you should be. We'll see how those two kind of play out this year. I definitely think uh, some decent warnings to heed on both of those. Let's do some email questions. First one comes from Graham, and I mentioned that we we're going to talk about this guy. Um, he, he does a little uh, kind of a hidden hidden player game first to start off with. This player had 27 stolen bases in 153 games last year despite a knee injury. He had 17 stolen bases in 21 attempts through June 13th, which is 58 games. Then something happened, and he just stopped running. This is what happened, and he includes a link. And he says on January, uh, excuse me, on June 15th, Gregory Polanco uh, got injured in Wrigley going for a ball where he got his foot stuck in the grass and then took a really weird tumble. It, was, it looks ugly. It looked a lot worse oh, than it I, actually I, ended up being, thankfully. I saw that in a clubhouse, in the Nationals clubhouse. It was bad. I mean, it looked, it looked terrible. We were, we were watching, I was watching with Bryce Harper, waiting for, waiting for Bryce Harper to give me some time. And everyone was like, what? <laughs> it, it, it looked it looked like it was going to be horrific. Thankfully, it wasn't yeah. as bad, but it did hamper him. Graham goes on and says he went over three in attempts over the next month and a half. That's a long time for just three attempts. Uh, then he went four for seven from July 31st to August 27th, and then he finished six of six down the line. So he got back on track. And Graham says I've seen a lot of analysis on Polanco's hitting, but what about his stolen base potential? And who would you say has the potential to surge on stolen bases next year? So let's just go with with those two questions there. First off, what do you think about Polanco's full season potential? Uh, you know, if he ha- if he doesn't get hurt there, maybe you add another f- five or six stolen bases to to the mark, and you're all of a sudden talking about a mid 30s guy. How high do you think Polanco can can go with his stolen base output? He's going to be 24 next year in his second full season. We've talked about how terrible the stolen base aging curve is, but it's it's important to talk about this specifically because, you know, the league is getting younger too. So what we think of as aging terribly, we have to remember that everyone's younger. So Polanco's 24, so even if stolen bases age terribly, he's still pre-peak. Yes. Um, stolen bases, e- even if you uh, limit it just to guys who have stolen 20 stolen bases in their careers— Stolen bases peak uh, between 25, basically 25 to 26, and then they start going down after you turn 26. Uh, but th- there's no real big drop until you uh, put 27 to 28. So 
you know, and, and there's actually some improvement until you turn 25. So, uh, you know, you look at Polanco, he's still pre-peak when it comes to stolen bases. It is interesting to, to note that yet last year with all the ups and downs that he had, 27 uh, or 37 attempts um, before that, the year before that, 2014, he only had 41. So it wasn't a big drop off. I mean, okay, you, so you look up. at you look at 2012 when he sto- tried 55 and he and he got 40 stolen base and you say, oh, he must that must be like a minor league situation. He's just going to be a 20 stolen base guy up here. Well, you know, he's already started to to step off of that in 2014. Um, and, uh, and so I think, you know, projecting him for 30 stolen bases is fine. I, I don't, I think that's a little bit of improvement in terms of when he gets caught, maybe he'll be healthier. Uh, it's a, it's a little, it's added stolen bases. So it's still growth. Um, but, uh, I don't see him as, um, you know, he's not a Billy Hamilton type when it comes to speed, he's speedy, but he's, he's got long strides and he's more, looks like a Dexter Fowler type. Absolutely. more than that's, Took the yeah. words directly out of my mouth and also i do think there's some upside with his other numbers there maybe the stolen bases you know kind of stay at at, at 30 there you know adding three to last year but i think the hitting is going to start to evolve you can start to see a little bit more pop you start to see a little bit more batting average you know he could he could add 20 points to his batting average 276 isn't knocking your socks off but adding 20 points of batting average over 650 plate appearances is nice that would translate into some more runs rbis probably a few more homers there and all of a sudden sudden you're looking at Polanco as a really nice power speed combo a little bit more of the uh, sometimes I flip it when the guy's definitely like a, a two-thirds one-third speed over the power I call him a speed power guy but I definitely think that Polanco can be that he's somebody I'm, I'm looking at this year with a lot of intrigue I think there's some growth potential there uh, and that's that's a yeah, stock the, I want to have the, the fans I think do a really good job of encapsulating how excited I am about Gregory Polanco because people ask me that a lot you know because they see that they think that I'm a high man on him, and maybe I am because I said his debut was actually pretty exciting, and people said it was terrible, and then I said his follow-up was still exciting because he improved yes. in power. He, you know, he stole more bases and he he made more contact. All these things are good, and I think even hitting that struggles that he did against left-handers late in the season, while still you know, playing some against left-handers suggests to me that the team thinks he can get over that hump. And um, so I just see more growth from him, no matter what you use as a peak is is good. So the the fans saying 276 with 15 homers, 30 stolen bases, 100 runs. Yeah, why yeah, not? That's, it's a that's exactly what I was talking about. I, I hadn't even seen the fans' projection. 20, yeah. All of a sudden, 20, 20 extra points, maybe not all the way up to 15 homers. If I was doing a projection, I might be closer to – 12 13 but that's a couple gusts of win but the right. 30 stolen bases and the 100 runs on that club that's a nice player so I'm, I'm i'm pretty intrigued by by him as well uh all right last email here from brad talk about dynasty valuations and i'm going to really just turn this one over to you because i'm still learning about this and I, i've been learning firsthand because you brought me on to your dynasty league team so i thought this would be a great question for you brad says gentlemen where do you find the balance in dynasty keepers on youth and potential versus veterans? Lately, it seems that rookies like Carlos Correa make it easier, but what about if you had to choose between Felix Hernandez types? Lots of mileage on the arm, but impeccable history versus up-and-comers like 2016 Cy Young winner Carlos Carrasco. By the way, I don't disagree with that, um, obviously. 
So, and then uh, he also mentions guys like Carlos Gonzalez still has the power, but showing signs of the end versus highly drafted, but unproven guys like Trey Turner. Do you try to get out before the decline? So we're talking dynasty valuations here. And for those of you that don't play in a dynasty league, you draft a huge roster and you just keep it. And if you're in Eno's league, there's a lot of trading and it is very active and it's really cool. Like, this is the kind of Dynasty League you should want to be in. I feel like most Dynasty Leagues are probably like this, though, because if you're going to play that format, you're not you're not uh, skimping out on the work. You're not joining a Dynasty League if you don't like the nitty-gritty of trading the rights to a 12-year-old. I think somebody in this league has drafted his son or something. I don't know. This Dynasty <laughs> League that we're in is intense, and I really enjoy it, kind of watching it go. So I'm going to, again, turn it over to you. How do you make that distinction? Is it all about the core that you already have? Let's say you're talking from the start, though, going into a dynasty league this year. There's going to be plenty that start up. How do you do the keepers when you're talking about youth versus veterans? My my old philosophy was just take the veterans and not and not you know 35 year olds, but that there was no real reason to not take a guy between 27 and 30. He's established. His bust rate is way higher than a prospect. You know, no matter what you're talking about, if you're going to pick a, a, a team full of Nomar Mazaras and I'm going to pick a, a team full of Gregory Polanco's, I'm going to I'm going to do better, I think, because my guys have already played in the major leagues and already shown skills that that they can that they own in the major leagues. Whereas you're betting on this guy who's never been in the major leagues to to be good. So and to even get there, by the way, you know, we right. we, we spoke pretty highly of Mazzara. We think he's one of these prospects in a thinner list that can make an impact, but he might not even make it make it up and make an impact. So that's the thing. You're just taking such a gamble. Continue. Right. So, uh, so I will, I will, uh, you know, there's a, I think there's a major distinction between young major leaguers and, and prospects. So, uh, you know, anybody that's before 30, uh, I, I'd start my first, if I was just building from scratch, I'd start my first five rounds and all be young major leaguers like that. I don't think I'd reach into like when they had the fan, the franchise draft on ESPN last year and they, they invited me to participate. I took Anthony Rizzo and I did take him ahead of Carlos Correa. And then, you know, looking back be like, well, you know, maybe I should have had the stones to take Carlos Correa. But in the but meantime, I still had Anthony Rizzo. Exactly, yeah, and had so, Correa yeah. even played yet, or was he just no, on the cusp? He had not, so that's the kind of decision I'll make, you know, 99 times out of 100, because, you know, Correa could have been a third baseman or could have, you know, I don't know. We don't, we didn't know that this was going to happen. No, we had and, no uh, idea. And so, you know, I'll, I'll take the, that sort of mistake, uh, especially because then I would have, there, my newest wrinkle on it is to yes, then pay attention, but only try to get prospects, especially if you're in like a 12 team league. You're only interested in top 10 type prospects. So if there's anybody, or, or top 20 maybe, top, if top 20 anybody, in their org, you mean, or top 20 overall? Top 20 overall, because okay. those, are, those, those are the guys that, are, that have those the studs. chance of being, yeah, of being, of being, being great. And um, so I do think that, you know, once I'd filled three to five, spots if there was any top 10 uh, top 10 top 20 type prospects like if there was a, and especially if you're doing it before prospect lists come out like for example if Ozino Albis the the um shortstop for the, the Braves if he was on there if he was still on the board and I picked you know three or four batting studs right I might go with Albies over a pitcher because at the very least I'd have great trade value that year 
You know, Albies could get me whatever, could get me a, if he especially becomes a top 10 prospect, continues to do well in the minor leagues, he can get me a lot of veteran pitchers if I need them later. So, or if I end up having to rebuild, I could sort of build around Albies with these young uh, position players I've taken. So there, 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 there is the, 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 the ceiling of a, of a young prospect that you have to think about. But for the most part, um, I, I'll take guys. Uh, I, I, I stare, stray away from keeping pitchers because of that sort of mileage um, and, and injury question. Like if you were looking at Felix Hernandez versus Carlos Martinez last year, you know, in some ways you might have been right to take Carlos Martinez because that's the, you know, the great young, you know, new hyped could totally be amazing. But now a year later, Felix Hernandez looks like he's more healthy than Carlos Martinez. Absolutely. So just in general, pitchers, pitchers are just a, a minefield. And, and, you know, as much as we try to help people with the tools to figure out who might be injured or who's not, you know, we're just we're grasping at, at, at straws. You can in the only park. do so much. I mean, it, it, it it's so difficult. And I've seen people. And the thing of it is, with the dynasty leagues, if you're if you're interested in playing this format, chances are you know a good bit about the prospects. So they tend to really, at least you know, a, a good portion of the league is very prospect savvy, and they want to get those guys. And I totally agree with you. I'm going with the young major leaguer, you, the guys yeah. like you you pointed out, Polanco. Jock Peterson, his stock has gone down a little bit after that awful second half. Jump in. Uh, th- that now is the time to go ahead and jump in. So I agree with you there. Uh, all right, you know, we got a lot of exciting things coming up on the show uh, in, in the coming weeks. Can't tip any of them off right now. I just want everyone to get excited. First bit of that, though, will come out Thursday, a special episode of sort uh, of sorts that I will uh, uh, get you guys, uh, get your appetites wet for that. It will not be. Eno and I, it will be me with somebody else uh, on on Thursday's episode. But Eno, you and I will be back next week. Again, we're doing two a week. We're back on our schedule. It's it, it's at least two a week. We not we're not 100 certain on the days. Things might still change as we kind of work through the off season. But there will be two a week for sure. So you and I will talk next week. Hope you have a good week. Take care. Yes, thanks for listening. <laughs>